Welcome to episode six of the Endless Podcast, Communication to Teachers. Okay, my name is Bjorn Barrett, and I'm here with Skylar, uh, and we'd like to thank you for listening. I didn't even let you get to introduce your name this time. It's quite all right. <laughs> so the first thing is the hashtag. Uh, I've been trying to do a little something. I don't know if it's always going to be hashtag, but my little blurb at the beginning. Uh, and I'm actually going to do hashtag VTED. And this is actually a shout out to Peter Dresser, who is at the very moment, the state director of educational technology. And I've worked with him for many years. Um, Great guy. I love the BMW, the old classic BMW he drives around to. (laughs) It's one of those things we strike up the conversation. He is resigning his post at the AOE and he'll be taking up a position as the director of technology and innovation at Essex Westford School District. So I just want to congratulate him on that new job opportunity. Okay, that's my hashtag. What are you up to now? What did you find this week? A lot. Uh, The world of early literacy is heating up as far as those that promote whole language approach versus phonemic and phonological awareness approaches around direct phonics instruction. So that's where I've been spending my time this week in that realm of the internet battleground with various podcasts. and public statements around that. I've also reinvigorated my Twitter account, which I've been a member since 2013 and haven't really posted anything. So if you'd like, you could follow me at Skylar Bombard. You've had a tongue twister phonics (laughs) this week. Yeah. (laughs) Along with the big report we've been working on too for the school board. I can't, I can't wait till I can get to play with the Edison robots. We got there. We got our lab of Edison robots and I'm looking forward to those. I'm actually going to talk about them a little bit farther in the show. So, Yeah. Do you want to talk about your acronym that you've developed? <laughs> well, let's share. So I was actually going to play this off. I thought you were going to watch your, you talk about your video first. Okay. Yeah. So I can do that. So w- within the context of this uh, reading wars, which as they're traditionally known, they've been going on for a very long time. Uh, a lot of state legislatures have come out and Put legislation in place and it's up for discussion in vermont around uh, making sure that school systems have in place early literacy instruction that's supported by the quote-unquote science of reading um, this is literacy in general is a highly emotional content area where people have pretty firm beliefs so this led me to to think about just educational change in general and, and how it's really difficult to take hold uh, and people tend to revert to where they're comfortable and and kind of create their own truth around who they are and what they believe in. Uh, So that led me to think about organizational communication to begin with, because this is something that as an organization will have to establish a clear and kind of articulate vision around our views on early literacy. So from there, I found a YouTube video called why Ted talks don't change people's behaviors. (laughs) And it was all about, we all know we can do better or there have been throughout the years, there have been some pretty significant Ted talks, but in general, people watch them, they tout them, they share them, but then they kind of revert to their own truth. So it it talked about the the constructs that we put into place. Uh, One of the examples was uh, the idea of Chilean sea bass and how it's actually a cod and it's, name prior to being dubbed Chilean sea bass and showing up on menus around the world was the Patagonian toothfish. So it it went into the 
difference between facts and truth and how something as simple as renaming an initiative or renaming a mental path you have can lead to significant change. So that's something that with the science of reading legislation that's up for discussion uh, in our current state legislature, and they're taking cues from some other states. So like Mississippi and, and Arkansas both have the science of reading language um, in some legislation around early literacy. That's something that we'll have to grapple with as an organization. And I was really looking for ways to communicate that to teachers in a way that's non-threatening, but also could potentially lead to change if need be. Leading to change. That's the big one right there. And I know it's just, that's something we talk about. You and I actually have those conversations like, well, it's about how to either get an initiative going or how to get things going. Um, I'm going to transition that into the one of the th programs that you and I actually started and that we're trying to get going is we wanted to get centralized kits that teachers can sign out and use and that I would go and support them. I struggled because I wanted a name for this kit. <laughs> and your video with the Patagonian toothfish kind of hit the nail on the head. It's like, I could get the kit. And if I can't get that one term or that one thing that it's called, it might not even take over. It, it, it's hard because I remember going to one of the schools and their labs, they called them cows. It was just what they called in the classroom. That was the lab that went around. And the teachers picked up that term and it really took off. And so with this lab of Edison robots that we have, I wanted a term for the Edison robots. And hopefully next year, I'm thinking kind of like VR headsets and all these little labs or kits that they get together. I played with this thing. Uh, I think I started out with the MAU mobile activity unit. Um, I was thinking mile might be a good one. Mobile innovation learning experience. You know, that would be kind of cool. I, then I was trying to think, is mile really going to kick? Is that going to kick off something? Just looking for more of a noun. Uh, you know, innovation tinker kit. I thought it was kind of a cool name with it too. It, it, it bounced around. I use the word innovation a lot only because that was already in my title. I don't know where you got that from, but the newsletter I send out is the innovation kit <laughs> or the innovation, the innovator. I landed on milk. <laughs> and that stands for mobile innovation learning kit. So I think it's great. I mean, you can piggyback on the, the whole PR campaign of got milk. Right? Yep. And yeah, got milk, you know, instead of does a body good, does a brain good. So I got to, my next step is kind of build a website and I have to, build all the procedures for signing these out and how long do teachers get to have them. Uh, I can admit, I sent it out yesterday that it, was, it existed and I had two teachers who were already using it. Um, another teacher who had some Edison robots that has invited me to the classroom that's working. It was so much fun. I, it, we had so much fun. We were doing it in third grade and we just did the barcode activities, the very basic activities in these things. And the kids were sitting there clapping and they were just, um, they had sumo wrestling. Uh, there's one where it stays in between the lines. And the first group that did it actually just did an outline and it programmed around. 
Um, I don't know if they stuck with the same group stuck with it. I think they may have, and they didn't move around, but then they're like, what happens if I draw pictures inside? So they drew these, this cat face inside of it. And they were trying to get it to go around there and trap it in the cat face or trap it all around. So it was really cool to see them explore. And also one of the cool parts about it is I brought up at the beginning thing that about debugging, you know, programming has something called debugging and that's, it's expected that the programs will fail as you're writing them. It's just inevitable. It's part of the process. You can't expect it to always work. Well, figuring out why it's not working is called debugging. And so that became a theme in this class. It's like, okay, well, the clapping wasn't working. Well, what's the debugging process? Well, they learned that they had to clap louder and consistent. Um, I think follow the line. They, it wasn't following the line until they made it thicker. And that was part of the debugging process. So it was just an amazing experience. I loved it. And uh, I got some fit. The teachers got some videos and pictures and I got some videos and pictures and can't wait to see where else this goes. <laughs> okay. Should we get into the show? Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to quickly talk. I guess we're going to talk about communication to teachers because this is something well, I have a very personal reason why I'm putting this on there, but I'll get to that at the end. <laughs> a personal plug. Um, but this has also come up quite a bit in our school systems and in previous school systems, and it's how do you communicate? And I broke it up into a couple categories. And you're welcome to pop in here at any point too. But, um, you know, I, I started writing down a list of all the ways schools communicate. Uh teacher to student. I call it coaches and admins to teachers. I kind of plump those together because there's those people like myself who's an integrationist that's not really an admin, but I work with all the teachers, not in a classroom aspect. Uh, the teacher parent, teacher teacher, school parent, school board to public taxpayers, which is another communication thing that I've been part of. Um, facilities to the public. And like student to student, uh, do, do you think I missed anything in there? Or? Yeah, I mean, I think organizational communication and and spe specifically a publicly funded um, like public school system is very intense, uh, and there are lots of webs of different ways. And I think you did a pretty good job of um, providing an overview. And I, I'm sure there are ones that we've missed, but I think it's a pretty exhaustive approach. <laughs> well, it's something I think about constantly because it is one of those things that you have to think about. How are you communicating? I mean, at the school board level, we did it. Um, I was part of a committee that did it and then it got changed to, there was a huge discussion at the school board level about communication versus engagement. And that is a whole nother show. Because <laughs> uh, getting engagement is different than communication. And I don't know, that's almost a chicken and the egg thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that you could classify these and, and you've kind of done that by the greater than, less than sign in the show notes. Uh, but input versus output, right? So are you outputting something and that's you don't expect a response to it? Or are you outputting something that you would like some input on? Those are, in my mind, two very distinctive things. Uh, it's something that over the last four years we've explored. Uh, we previously had a lot of teacher resources, which I'm tasked with kind of managing all of that. 
um, and helping develop space for people to drop shared resources uh, and helping people understand where they need to go to access shared resources. That has changed for us in the last four years. We were previously on Haiku uh, and now they're hosted in Google Classrooms that are grade level specific. Or if you're a UA teacher, um, it's in a, a single UA Google Classroom. It's something I borrowed from uh, a colleague of ours who had said, I use all Google Classrooms for PD, grade level specific stuff. Um, there's Google Drive, there's Google Shared Drives, uh, used to be Team Drives. I hate that they changed their name. Going back to the name thing, because uh, it was so much easier to, when I'm doing a presentation or a documentation to say, go to the Team Drive. Now I have to say Shared Drive versus Shared Folder. versus. It's more confusing. I wish they didn't change it. Names are important, people. <laughs> Yeah. And even this, the title of this, we, I think I put it in as collaboration to with teachers. And then you're coming, is this collaboration we're talking about or is this communication we're talking about? So even the title of this was changing as we're going in. Um, so I talked a little bit about the different categories of people. How about the different methods? What, what are the different methods that you've seen used like within this district? Uh, up until recently, it had been the school websites. Uh, they would, as far as output to parents, it would be the school websites. Facebook, uh, we had schools that were on Facebook with varying degrees of success. So a school at Sunderland, when I was the principal there, we had an enrollment of about 85 kids and we had 500 likes on Facebook. So 500 people would see the Facebook posts that we would put out. At the time that I arrived, that was actually run by the parent-teacher group. And then when I came there, I asked for rights for both myself and my admin assistant so that we could push stuff out. Uh, so it's been kind of an evolution. I don't necessarily know that. Um, I think the strategy that we've had in, in recent years has been to kind of flood the market and put it out in every way possible. So if you get a text message that there's a snow day, but you also get a phone call that there's a snow day and you might see it on Facebook that there's a snow day, you know, those types of outputs are pretty much at the saturation point. We know that individual classroom teachers have the option to use Alma to contact their families. Some of them in primary grades specifically use things like Blooms or Class Dojo. Those are all ways to communicate and inputs and outputs. Uh, newsletters is, is pretty common practice, and whether that's digitally distributed or, or distributed in backpacks. Uh, from this office, we last year we developed the BRSU announcements that comes out once monthly that is kind of a way to put a, a megaphone up to our mouths and say, hey, pay attention to this stuff. Um, a lot of our communication from central office kind of filters through building level administrators. So some gets lost, some doesn't. It's just the nature of communication. Uh, email, everybody has email. It's organizationally common. But the problem with email is not everybody checks it um, or it gets lost in the shuffle because they get a lot of emails daily. We don't necessarily have a great presence in any of our schools or central office on Twitter, I would say. One of the practices that we have in place at a bunch of our schools is this idea of a virtual meeting. And yeah, that, that was something I was really interested in when I came in here because I've always thought faculty meetings in my previous schools could be run better. That, that was the big communication thing that I've, I ever became a principal. I would try and find 
a real good way to do it. And I like the virtual meetings that we do here. Yeah, I think that they they take away a lot of the logistics around the time that you get with your staff. It's very valuable. So to take the time to talk about logistics around um, when this school event is taking place during the school day or who has, you know, if there's an assembly, all of that stuff doesn't necessarily need to be discussed when you have a team of 20 plus educators in the room. You could send it via email, which runs its risk of getting lost, or you could have in the structures that most of our schools use that do a virtual meeting is they keep it as a doc that is rolling for the year. So by the end of the year, you might have a 40 page document and usually our principals update them on the weekend and they push them out and it's things to keep in mind, keep your eye on the ball, those community events, all the logistical stuff. Uh, if you're doing some work in classrooms or if I'm going to be on site to help teachers out or if the instructional coach is going to be running something after school or any any kind of logistics show up in the, the virtual meeting. And then the time that's spent with teachers in person is set aside as, as PD or something a little bit more valuable than hitting them with a bunch of logistical stuff. Yeah, or just actual collaboration. I know we've used um, the that time to talk about was proficiencies. No, it was the uh, curriculum maps. Remember we went in there and we had a great discussion. It was a time that we went in there. The teachers already knew all the normal announcement-ish type of things. So we went in, got working right away and was able to talk about curriculum maps with those teachers. So I thought that was a very productive time. Um, and I think the virtual meetings, that pre-virtual meetings really helped make that time be productive. So we didn't spend half of it going over some little things. Uh, I think the newsletters are that have gone out actually are really done well here. I know when I first came in here, that was my first question is how do I communicate with the teachers? Um, and it was a thing when we tried having to send it through the admins um, as a first step. And I don't think that was a bad approach because a lot of times I kind of, I wrote a week, a monthly newsletter and I sent it out to the admins and they put it in their weekly newsletters or in the virtual meetings or whatever else and linked it in there. I don't think it was bad, but I don't. I didn't get the collaboration that I was expecting. But I was told very definitely, and I knew this also coming into it: do not bombard our teachers with emails. They, they get too much as it is. Um, so I settled on the monthly newsletter that I could send out, and then I decided to try and send it out directly. That way, they can reply to me directly, and that's actually worked out. I've gotten some nice replies to that. And they've been able to make a little bit more personal connections. Um, I'm hoping once a month is not too much. Uh, one thing I did want to try, though, is I wanted to make it very visually rich. I'm the innovator. I'm the tech guy. Last thing I want to do is send out a very bland email once a month or something that has way too much information. I've seen that. I've seen newsletters that have gone out that just are so full of information that nobody reads it. So my goal was to keep it one page, maybe two pages with photos and visuals and things like that. Um, started writing it in Google Slides, which is a really good way to create newsletters, uh, especially for print. I recommend it highly. Uh, one of our schools uses a 
program called S'mores uh, to send out emails that are embedded in the uh, email itself. So it's very rich email. That did cost a little bit of money um, in the long run to be able to send it out like that. And I want to say that was more universal. So I actually wrote, this is the plug, um, a new Google add-on called Send As Email. Uh, send A-Z email. Uh, you can get that in any Google Doc um, add-on store, or you can go to sendasemail.edlisten.com. And basically takes a Google Doc that's formatted nicely, two columns or three columns, and putting out some templates that it is. And allows you to email it out and embed it in a email. And I think that's helped out a lot because I learned this from my previous school when doing newsletters is just attaching a Google a document to it doesn't necessarily mean people are going to read that. They really want that one click and visually see. So we started embedding email, making really visually rich embedded emails in our previous newsletter. And I wanted to do that here too. And I think it's come out. I mean, I, my last one got several responses about teachers wanting to use the Edison robot. And um, I plugged our podcast into it. And I was looking at the uh, rates. And that, those went up. You could tell from that email. It went, I think people are listening. So hi, BRSU. <laughs> so news, newsletters are good. Yeah, I really like the work that's being done with s'mores. Um, but as you said, the cost associated is a little bit prohibitive. And the idea that there's a learning curve with any with any new product, um, and I think that the send as A to Z is or send as email is really intuitive, and it, you're essentially sending a Google Doc in a visual form, and it doesn't necessarily mean that someone has to click on an attachment, which then opens another window. And um, I'm a bit of a tabaholic myself, so there's tabs, you know, well across the entire screen for me so anytime i don't have to open a new tab because the likelihood that i'll close it is pretty slim uh, so when you open the email and the contents are right there from the google doc it's just so it's so much easier it's really convenient and it's something that when you were first developing it we i sent a sample out to principals and got a super positive response uh, more of a how did you do that type thing and i think that the, the fact that it's all within google itself makes it a little bit more easily digestible than sending them elsewhere. So I do know that the administrator that we have that uses s'mores is very good at s'mores um, and comes off with monthly emails that are fantastic. But I would think the time that she's invested in, in getting proficient at it uh, would be difficult for other people to, to jump in and just assume. That yeah. And like I said, I'm not knocking it at all. I just decided to write an alternative. <laughs> <laughs> that worked off a of Google Doc because that's where most of the teachers are writing their newsletters now. Um, it's where I wanted to write my newsletter there. Uh, you still need to use tables instead of the word wrapping. But that's simple things. I mean, that that kind of goes back to how HTML is coded. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know that was one of our concerns when we started to uh, kind of beta test send his email uh, was some of the formatting things. But you know, we were able to figure this out. You got it approved and published and everything. It's really, it's really cool. Um, and it, like I said, the, the barrier to entry is really, really low. Yeah. It's what I drive. That's what I tried for. Um, we talked about Google Classroom and I like what you did with Google Classroom 
and using that as the collaboration between um, grade levels. Because we're, we're six schools, so we have six, at least six third grade teachers that need to collaborate, and they're all in different places. So using Google Classroom, I thought, was a really good way because they can post to it themselves, um, and you can post out information. It's that one-stop shop. Uh, what's your experience so far? Um, I think that it helps curate old versions of Docs because one thing that we know that Google Drive isn't good at is staying organized unless you really make it a priority. Um, I have four years worth of solid stuff that is just, it, and probably more than that because at the time when I came on board of this organization, the previous principal at that school had shared with me all of her quote-unquote relevant Docs, which are still there. Um, so it's challenging to to manage things through Drive. I know we previously had Haiku up and that existed kind of as a static repository for people to go to and pull from. Um, the idea with Google Classroom is that it's pretty easy to update materials. So if there's a more current version of something, it will be easily updated in Classroom. And then that triggers an email to everyone that, hey, this resource has been updated. Um, for me, it, it's pretty easy instead of trying to send uh, an email that I create my own email list of every third grade teacher we have, I just go into the classroom. They're also like open door classrooms as well. So if you're an interventionist or a special educator, or in some cases we have principals that are on individual classrooms, uh, all you need is the code. The code is readily available so they can go in and join. They can see what's going on in third grade. Um, if there's new stuff that's getting put out there, um, if they're finding feedback on something, um, it's, it's a good way to just post and then understand that it triggers an email to everyone as well. So instead of just sending an email and hoping people open it, it's static. It sticks there. Um, you know, have what I say, am I super satisfied with the level of collaboration we've had so far on it? I don't necessarily know. I mean, we know this year has been a, a really uh, a year that's been focused on growth and we're asking people to do things that they might not be familiar with doing. So I don't necessarily think that I'm surprised that it's landed the way that it has. Uh, I do think going forward, the more we make it part of the culture, the better it will be. And just the geography, as you alluded to, the geography of our six different schools, it's, it's very difficult to get people together in one place. And we only do that a few times a year. Um, but email, it, there's just so much static when it comes to email. They, they get, if they ever signed up for anything outside of uh, their regular like day-to-day -day business of getting emails from, in some cases, in our upper grade students who have issues at home from their one-to-one -one device, they email teachers. Uh, if they've signed up for some subscription service in the past, like BrainPop or whatever, they're getting um, e constant emails like, hey, sign up with us again, or uh, Mystery Science is something that we all subscribe to, so we get emails from them. Uh, Newzela sends weekly emails. So yeah, email gets pretty... I mean, just go throughout the day. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I know once a week, I kind of have to try and get down to my emails at least on one page. <laughs> the email zero, eh, I at least try to get to one page. <laughs> and I use the archive button a lot. So it's not like I'm deleting the, them. If I ever need to find them again, um, I can just search for it. So I don't usually use the labels. I just archive if I don't want, don't need to see it anymore. Okay. Anything else? 
I know we have a comfort, we have dynamic landscapes that I'm part of um, the Vitalern board and that's coming down the line. I know I got a couple of emails about the sessions and it's interesting. We're trying to figure out, okay, well, how long do we want? Do we want a four o'clock um, sessions that are going on or is that too late? <laughs> and if we cut that out, that's 20 sessions. We have 20 sessions less than we can offer. Um, so great conversation going around that. Uh, we'll see how that lands. But that conference is coming up. It's one that's a great conference. That I think it's one that's going to be very fun. You and me are signed up for a workshop with the Edison robots. Yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, I'm signed up. Well, actually, I have, I have the PO. I don't. I have to still sign up for the class for um, a course, a one credit class on the Oculus Quest. So that's some augmented and VR um, things, which I think is going to be amazing. I'm hoping that that ecosystem can. I'm hoping that ecosystem can really come together into an educational platform that's really usable. I'm a little worried it's going to fall into the same realm that iPads fell into, where iPads is an amazing personal device, but their educational ecosystem to use it in education, more so to manage it. It's not to use it, it's to actually make it manageable. By the IT department um, was really hard to do. Yeah, I, I spent some time talking to Dennis recently about that um, because that they've recently changed how those devices are managed, and that's something that is a challenge for sure. Um, I am very interested in virtual reality, and I'd love to love to join you there. That's something I'm considering doing, but I have to put it put in the professional development request and ensure that I have enough money left on my PD line this year. Good things. Yeah. Well, at least you're the one that signs my PD approval. <laughs> I can live by proxy. So if you go and have a great time, you can tell me all about it if I can't make it myself. So. Well, at, at the very least, if it happens, we'll have a VR headset here. We'll get our we'll get Jackie, our superintendent, on it. That's always fun. <laughs> okay. Anything else related to communication to teachers that we want to that you want to talk about? Um, I, just as far as internally, um, in our organizationally, like specific um, concerns that people have, you know, we hear you. Uh, it's very difficult to try to throw a lasso around how things are communicated. I know we have an old website um, that was kind of migrated into Google Sites once we did away with Haiku. I, I would say that, you know, people value Haiku a lot. And I think it's just because that was the culture and it existed for a while. So anytime you change anything, it kind of fits the, the mold of um, what I was referencing with the TED Talk that I watched about why TED Talks don't change behaviors. <laughs> uh, it's kind of you just, you know, if that's the culture that you were used to, nobody, I mean, the initial reaction to change is resistance. Yeah. Right. So I think that we'll get there. We're trying to become a more efficient organization and it's challenging because people are at different starting plate, starting points. So. I I got to admit, at least the conversation is happening. Right. The that's half best part about this is that it's been a conversation that's come up on several occasions at all different levels. Um, and with, yeah, just all different levels, really good conversations. Uh, so we'll keep it at that. Okay. So my 60 second challenge, and uh, this is self-serving. I 
am employing you to take 60 seconds and go out to either send as email uh, com or go into a Google Doc and go to the add-ons and go to get add-ons. Actually, let's do it. I suggest go through the add-on menu because I want you to peek at what other ones are out there because I don't know if anybody else has seen it. So open up a Google Doc, click on add-ons, click get add-ons, and search for send as email. So that's S-E-N, send, A-Z, email. So send space A-Z space email. Um, it should be in there from the Google Docs add-on list. And give it a try. I'd love to hear your feedback on it. And if you're at BRSU, it's already there and installed for you. You want to conclude it this time? Sure. Thank you for listening to the Ed Listen Podcast with your host, Norm Barrett, Skyla Bumpard. You can follow the podcast and contribute by going to podcast.edlisten.com. Follow Bjorn on Twitter at EdListen and me at Skyla Bumpard. And that's my normal ending tagline. Thank you and never stop learning. <laughs>